Church, Andover Campus, in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at either 8.30 or 11 o'clock a.m. at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. Lord, open our hearts and minds to hear that which you would reveal to us uh, through your word uh, and through a new word today. As we encounter a text that is hard and uncomfortable, uh, reveal yourself to us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I am unashamedly a mama's boy. I, uh, my mama was special to me. Um, if I had a problem, I went to mama. If uh, I wanted something, I went to mom. Um, if I wanted to do anything, I went to mom. If I had a, uh, a heartbreak, I went to mom. Uh, if I wanted to watch a silly romantic comedy, I went to mom because she would watch my type of movies. Um, my father was, uh, is uh, a stern man, I thought. Um, we, we tended to butt heads. We tended to um, uh, kind of tussle all the time over uh, my compliance. He'd want me to do uh, better or be better or be more respectful or whatever these things were. And so uh, we were always kind of at each other's throats. Um, I, I knew my father loved me, but uh, he was definitely the disciplinarian, right? The firm uh, hand of, of how uh, we should be raised. And so I became a mama's boy. I, uh, she didn't uh, do everything with me. In later years, I've come to understand my father much more, uh, to understand uh, who he is and what he was about. But when I was a kid, all I could see was uh, the way he, he uh, kind of was firm, right? Was harsh, was these things. Um, I wonder if Israel could only see that about their God, was that he was harsh and hard to go to and demanded things they couldn't meet up to. Uh, pretty far into the Old Testament by this point, right? We've been doing prophets since I started here and each week we see more and more where Israel is not meeting God's standard and he calls them uh, to change, to be better, to uh, face the consequences of their actions. These things that my father did growing up that just seemed mean, right? Uh, to a little kid, discipline seems mean. I wonder if to Israel, God's discipline didn't seem mean. Uh, this passage in Jeremiah is particularly uh, stunning. Uh, Elizabeth read the beginning. At that time, the people in Jerusalem will be told a blistering wind from the bare heights. It rages in the desert towards my people, not merely to win or cleanse, this wind is too devastating for that. Now I, even I, will pronounce my sentence against them. But what she didn't read was uh, this part. Warn the nations. Proclaim it to Jerusalem. Armies are approaching from a faraway country, raising their war cries against the towns of Judah. They hem her in like those guarding a field because she has rebelled against me, declares the Lord. 
Your own conduct, your own deeds have done this to you. This is your payment. How bitter it is, is piercing into the depths of your heart. You get why some of the early church fathers thought the Old Testament God was a mean God, right? Um, you've messed up, so I'm sending foreign armies in to take you over, to literally send you to a new place and undo all this. Hard to see the loving father we talk about in a passage like this, right? And it just gets even better from there. My people are foolish. They don't even know me. They are thoughtless children without understanding. They're skilled at doing wrong and inept at doing right. I looked at the earth and it was without shape or form in the heavens and there was no light. I looked at the mountains and they were quaking it. The hills were rocking back and forth. I looked and there was no one left. Every bird in the sky had taken flight. I looked and the fertile land was a desert. All its towns were ruins before the Lord, before his fury. The Lord proclaims, the whole earth will become a desolation, but I will not destroy it completely. Therefore, the earth will grieve and the heavens grow dark because I have declared my plan and I will neither change my mind nor cancel the plan. At least my punishment was like a timeout, right? This is an undoing of the created order that God is talking about here. Literally that things that had form and function no longer do, that there is now formlessness and void that uh, the animals disappear from the face of the earth. It's kind of the imagery being used here. It's hard to see a loving God in this passage. There's only one sentence that gave me any hope. The whole earth will become a desolation, but I will not destroy it completely. I've had to think a lot this week about uh, if we truly believe that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, if God is the same across the whole of Scripture, uh, where is the loving God here? And it's in this sentence that I will not destroy it completely. See, I love that he draws us back to the creation narrative when things were good, when everything was good and people were very good, when humanity and God were in great relationship. But the next part of the story is when the serpent comes in and tries to tell them that God is actually not a good God, that he is withholding something from humanity. If they just eat from the fruit, then they would be like God. The deceiver does a great job already in this very third chapter of Genesis of saying that uh, God is not a good God. He's harsh and withholding. He doesn't want to give you the best. You should just take it for yourself. And God had told them if they ate from the fruit, they would die. They eat from the fruit, but he doesn't kill them. God allows the human experiment to continue despite their rebellion. He allows them to continue with terms. Humanity spirals into sinfulness even more and eventually we climax in the story of Noah and the flood, but yet he saves at least Noah and his family and continues this experiment. In the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, the question is from Abraham, if we find a hundred righteous people, will you re relent on destroying Sodom and Gomorrah? God says, yes, for a hundred righteous people, surely. What about for 40, even for 10? God offers this hope even for 10. When uh, the people build a golden calf out in the wilderness, 
Moses and ask God to turn back his anger. Don't destroy them, and God does. In this passage now, he says, I'm going to destroy you, but not completely. I'm going to keep a remnant together. I'm going to bring you back into this land. I'm going to make you a people again. But it's hard to see that as any kind of hope, right? You get why people turn to Jesus for the hope. Uh, Because Jesus, I think, makes you feel... Uh, the same thought that is getting there, but in a much, much more enjoyable way. In Luke 15, suppose someone among you had 100 sheep and lost one. Wouldn't he leave the other 99 in the pasture and search for the lost one until he finds it? And when he finds it, he is thrilled and places it on his shoulders. When he arrives home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, celebrate with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who changes both heart and life than over 99 righteous people who have no need to change their hearts and lives. Or what woman, if she owns 10 silver coins and loses one of them, won't light a lamp and sweep the house, searching her home carefully until she finds it? When she finds it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Celebrate with me because I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, joy breaks out in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who changes both heart and life. This is the loving father that we picture when we picture God, right? The one who celebrates over one person lost found. The one who, at every turn, wants to seek out those who are far away from him. That's the same God who was present at creation, who spoke through the prophets, who took on flesh in Jesus and then offered his spirit to the church, who literally says that the heavens will rejoice at the one lost being found. It's easy to look at a text like this Jeremiah passage and see a stern, angry, difficult God. It was easy for me to look at my dad and see a stern and angry and difficult dad. At 37, I can look backwards and go, my dad is incredible. At every turn, he was trying to keep me from the things that befell my friends. The ones who ended up dead or in jail, he was trying to stop that. He was trying to raise me to be a decent person. This dad who... Uh, I butted heads with, would take karate for five years with me, even though he had arthritis in his legs and hands, so that we could do something together. Who, though he was blind, would go bass fishing with me, even though it just made him feel inept. This dad who would give me a back scratch every night if I asked for one. In the moment, it's easy to see harshness, to hear rebuke, and easy to miss love. To miss that God was not going to destroy them. The miss that our earthly father was so much more than I thought he was. Um, uh, I've struggled this week because it revealed to me how uh, probably unkind I was to my father growing up. Mother always pointed out that we uh, fought like cats and dogs. And I've been reflecting on uh, not treating him well. 
because I didn't like his discipline, ignoring all the good things, I didn't like his discipline. Israel does the same thing to God. Do we as the church do the same thing? Uh, our, our God wants to lavish us with the best things, wants to pour out his spirit in abundance, but does invite us to righteousness, does invite us to holy living, does invite us to be different. But then he rejoices when even one is found. I needed that glimmer of hope in this passage. I needed to see God say, I'm not going to completely destroy this. And I needed to see Jesus say that God rejoices over even the one. God rejoices over each one of you and over me. And he invites us into this work with him, this work of showing his love to other people that they might be found. When it's easy to think of God as harsh, may we remember him as loving. When his discipline feels too much to bear, may we remember that it is for our own good. May we experience God's spirit in its fullness. Would you pray with me? God, you are a loving father, and yet often we miss it. We see your word as full of rules and commandments and signs that we don't measure up. For the ways in which we've uh, taken your discipline as overbearing and unfair and unkind, revealing us your discipline as love. Transform our hearts and minds to uh, see your goodness. Fill us with your spirit that we might go forth from here sharing your love for the world, offering a glimmer of hope to those who so desperately need it, that they might meet you and that the heavens might rejoice. Lord, turn our hearts to you. Remind us day after day of your loving faithfulness. Fill us with your spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.